Our reading this morning is taken from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 9. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urge Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. This is the word of our Lord. That was actually a hymn that was written for, uh, for our church by one of our staff people uh, last year, Dave Krishner, a few years ago in, in preparation for our opening here, in preparation for our capital campaign, which of course was Hearts Compelled to Share. And that's kind of an ongoing thing, as you know, uh, as we thank God for what he's doing and has done among us. Well, this morning I want to get into this generosity thing a little bit with you all too. Um, for starters, how many of you are oldest or only children? Oldest or only... Man, there's a lot of you in this service, too. Man, there's a lot of you. Okay, what I'm about to say right now, um, you people who just had your hands in the air, you have, you have no idea what this is all about, right? For everyone else who has an older sibling of some variety, you are going to understand this perfectly. I'm the youngest of four kids, all right? My mom's right here. She can, she'll validate what I'm about to say. Every teacher that we ever had in common, every coach that we ever had in common, people at church all sorts of people that knew us in our lives all said the same thing to me. It's this, this question that like grates on you like, like fingernails on a chalkboard, all right? The question is this, why can't you be more like your brother or sister, right? All the younger, all the children who have older siblings in the room, you're all nodding your heads. The rest of you that are older children or only children are like, what? I don't get it. Right? It's this game of comparison. Every science teacher that I ever had, like, let's see, I had Mark first, I had Cheryl second, I had Laura third, and now I have you, four Geigers. Does that make me a Geiger counter? <laughs> Hilarious. Right? Haven't heard that joke since last year, first day of school. And then they would always follow it up with, well, they were all good students. Hope you're a good student. And being somewhat ridiculous like I am, I would usually say something like, well, 
Hopefully you teach me as well as you taught them, and maybe I will be. But don't act like me. I'm not, this is not a good thing. But that question of comparison isn't just for siblings. It's a question of comparison all throughout our lives. Our society is one that judges. This is the way that we live. We live based on comparisons. And these comparisons are real, and they hit us in a, in a deep psychological place. These comparisons that we have that make us feel like we're less and somebody else is more or like we're more and somebody else is less, in the midst of all those comparisons, it's hard for us, it's hard for us to conceive of a God who doesn't make those comparisons. In fact, theologian Henry Nouwen wrote in his book, Return of the Prodigal Son, he wrote this, in a world that constantly compares people, ranking them as more or less intelligent, more or less attractive, more or less successful. It's not easy to really believe in a love that does not do the same. When I hear someone praised, it's hard not to think of myself as less praiseworthy. When I read about the goodness and kindness of another person, it's hard for me not to ask whether I myself am as good and kind as they. When I see trophies, rewards, and prizes being handed out to special people, I cannot avoid asking myself why that didn't happen to me. It's that game of comparison that's all around us. And in the midst of that game of comparison, we then start to ask questions of ourselves. Those questions can be good or they can be very bad. And that's why I cringe when I read 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Because 2 Corinthians chapter 8 is all about comparison. The Apostle Paul is comparing the Corinthians with the Macedonians. He's comparing them with their neighbors up to the north. And when he asks them, these, when, he, when he brings up these points of comparison, he's essentially saying to them, why can't you be more like them? Right? Listen to what he says. The Macedonians had very severe trial, and yet they responded with overflowing joy. They had extreme poverty, and yet they responded with rich generosity. They exceeded the expectations that we set for them by giving themselves first to the Lord and then to us for the Lord's service. Right? We had these expectations and they went above and beyond. And then he asks them this, so why can't you be more like them? Why can't you be more like those Macedonians? Now, how would you respond if you heard that? In fact, how would you respond if it was written for all time for everyone to read in the pages of Scripture a comparison between someone else and you. It'd be kind of hard to take, wouldn't it? It'd be hard for us to, to think that somehow this was fair, like this was the right way for us to be treated. And yet, you know what? Because of the fact that it's written in Scripture, we understand that it's probably important for us to understand comparison and to allow comparison. And it's good for us to know what others are doing, but it requires a certain level of maturity, all right? So, so stick with me for a minute on this. It requires a certain level of maturity for us to have this type of comparison made. Because if we're immature, we're going to fall off the horse on one of two sides, all right? Either we're going to fall off on this immaturity side by comparing ourselves to other people and seeing what they're doing and saying, but, but I'm doing more, right? You remember this back from the days when you were in school? And maybe you studied for three hours for a test and you got an A. And then you had a friend who came along and said, well, I didn't study at all. 
And so what'd you do the next exam? You like decided, well, I'm going to get back at them by not studying. It's not exactly a mature way to look at this, right? And yet we do that kind of thing all the time, where we say, well, well, somebody else is doing less than I am. Clearly, I'm superior. But that's immaturity. But then there's the other side of this, right? The other side that is equally immature. The side that sees what somebody else is doing, and it's more than what you're doing. And maybe we go into the category that he's talking about here, and it's in the, in the realm of giving. And we say, well, that person's giving that much money. There's no way that I could ever even approach it. Or maybe it's at work, and you say, well, that person's working so much harder than I am. There's no way that I could ever do that. And to get back at them, you decide that you're going to do less. But both of those are examples of immaturity. Immaturity that that allows the comparison game to be about who we are at our core rather than a challenge to be who somebody better than we are. And in this case, a challenge to be who God calls us to be. What the Apostle Paul knows and what the Holy Spirit knows is that the Corinthians were mature enough to handle the comparison. They had a mature faith that enabled them to look at the situation through eyes of faith and to know that God was working in the Macedonian Christians and would continue to work in them the same. And here's your evidence. In the very first verse, the Apostle Paul says this, Now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace which the Lord Jesus Christ, the grace that God has given to the Macedonian churches. We want you to know about the grace that's been poured on them, the unconditional and unmerited love of Jesus. We want you to know how it's been given to the Macedonian Christians. Why does he say that? Because no Christian would look at that and go, oh, well, they got God's grace. No, instead, we rejoice in that. We celebrate the grace that's been poured out on someone else. And he knows that this will be something that's celebrated. And then he goes on to explain the way that that faith is exercised by the Macedonian Christians. And then he says to them in verse 9, and you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know this because it's been given to you. You see, their maturity in faith starts with the gift of God given to them. The gift of God, the grace of God, the unmerited love and favor of God poured out on them. That grace enables them to see in the comparison a challenge from God. That God wants something, something even better for them in their lives. That God wants to motivate them forward in all that they do. And this is what we can draw out of this. One's knowledge of grace. In fact, one's experience with the grace of God in Jesus Christ is the only thing that can create maturity, which results in a joyful life. One's experience with grace is the only thing that can create faith maturity in a person that enables us to view all things through mature eyes in the way that God wants us to live in this world. And as we view these things through mature eyes, it means even the comparisons. And it means even the comparisons and the corrections, and not just the celebrations, and not just the congratulations, but even those moments when we're being exhorted, when we're being challenged onto something more. This is our first anniversary. It's our first anniversary of CLC Fishers. Our doors have been open for one full year, right? This is the first weekend that we met together. We met for a couple of weeks before opening the doors publicly, and we have a lot to celebrate. In fact, in just a few minutes, we're going to watch a video from some of our disciples 
with some of the celebrations that they have. Maybe you participated out here. Maybe you read some of the things that others were thankful for. We have a lot to celebrate. We can rejoice in, in God's faithfulness to us and the ways that his grace is present to us, that his grace is present for us. As he feeds us with word and sacrament, we can rejoice that 400 people about are worshiping here every week. It's a lot for us to celebrate. But there's also a challenge that is still laid before us. You see, we, we've spent this year kind of growing accustomed to being in this place. And I believe that the next year is God calling us beyond these walls. Is God calling us to invite people into his presence, to invite people to experience his grace, to invite people to know his love through us on the outside. And to not just celebrate those who come, but to know that we are God's hands and feet in the world. See, that's a challenge for us. It's a challenge for us that comes through the maturity of faith that begins with an experience of God's grace. God's grace continually shapes and molds us, and the knowledge that we have of that grace. The Corinthians are being challenged to live fully in the grace of Jesus Christ. In fact, this is what the Apostle Paul says. Just as you excel in all things, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love that we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Right? That there's something that's lacking in their exercise of faith. And Paul challenges them, challenges these mature Christians to grow in this area. God's calling us to do the same. Brothers and sisters, mature faith is demonstrated in joyful generosity with all of God's gifts. Mature faith is demonstrated in joyful generosity with all of God's gifts. Think about that for a second. You know this to be true. But we don't, we don't in any way hold short on love, right? Like if there's someone around us that needs love, we, we sh like none of you has ever said to your spouse, honey, I have three hugs for you today. We can give you all three of them right now or we can spread them out throughout the day. None of you has ever looked at one of your kids and said, you know, I, one, I love you today. That's all I can give because I've, I've got a finite number of them. I don't want to spend them all. None of you has ever said even to your neighbor in need, I'm sorry, I can't help you carry that thing into your house. Because there's a deep well of kindness that you have. And a deep well of love that you have. There's a deep well of words that you have. There's a deep well of knowledge that you have. And even as you acknowledge that those are gifts given to you by God, you know that they're never going to run out. You know that nowhere in the scriptures does it tell you that you can only give out a little bit of God's love because otherwise you're going to run out and you're not going to have any for yourself. And yet for some reason, like the Corinthian Christians, we've decided that money and material possessions are different. We've decided that we have to hold on to those things very tightly because they very well might run out. And yet, as mature believers... We're to view all the things that we have as gifts from God. We're, we're not to view this as some kind of a, a zero-sum game where I give it away and therefore I have no more, but instead to recognize the God who has given us all things, as the Apostle Paul says, even to make us alive. That he's given us gifts and talents. He's enabled us to serve and to work. He's enabled us to know that the pool is deep. 
doesn't mean that there won't be sacrifice. It does mean that there will be sacrifice. It does mean that we will be giving of ourselves generously, and yet that's what mature faith does. And what we do when we give generously, when we are joyful in our generosity in all aspects of life, is we are showing that we do not belong to the world. We're showing that we do not belong to the world. And therefore, we are not marked by the things of this world. Our self-worth, our identity, isn't based on the type of car we drive, the job we have, or the home in which we live. But instead, our identity is based on our experience of grace in Jesus Christ. Our identity is based on the fact that Jesus Christ has poured his grace into our lives, even to those aspects of our lives that we're trying to fill with the world's stuff. God fills that with his grace instead. And an acknowledgement that this is our identity. And so then he calls us to test this, to test the sincerity of our love, to test our knowledge of what Jesus has done for us, to test our experience with grace, to test our maturity. By asking ourselves stuff like this, do we consider it a privilege or a burden to serve? Do we excel in all parts of faith life or are there some parts of our lives that we just cordon off and say that belongs to me? And ask ourselves ultimately, how tightly do I think, claim, cling to the things of this world? How tight is my grip? You know, one of the things that I find most fascinating about that last part is that, that your tendency and my tendency is to feel so convicted by this that we get in our cars and we go, well, I, don't, I drive a nice car, ho-hum. Something must be wrong. Or you're going to sit in your house this afternoon and say, well, I must, the preacher said I was doing something wrong because I have a nice house. No, see, that's that zero-sum game again. That's, that's that deciding that the bucket is only so deep instead of believing that God fulfills and provides for the calling which he places on each one of us. That's what it means to say we believe in a providential God. It doesn't mean that God's going to give you everything that you ever want, but it means that God will always provide enough for the calling which he places on you. That as God continues to help and to bless others through us, he provides for that need. That as God calls us to be generous, it's a recognition of his grace poured into our lives. When I look at stuff like this, I'm reminded of the generosity of God's people, of what it means for us to be able to be a blessing to people. Half of that food is going to go to the Come to Me Food Pantry here in Fishers. That's at Fishers United Methodist Church right by the highway, or as I'm sure they're telling everybody, we're the church right next to Portillo's. And the other half is going to go to Irvington, to the coalition of churches there that we've been a part of, ICANN, the ICANN Network to be a blessing to other people. We took something out of our cupboards to give to someone else. And praise God, there's enough. That God continues to call us forward to be joyfully generous in all aspects of our lives, in our faith, in our speech, in our love, in our kindness, in our generosity, in our giving. God calls us forward to see our generosity as a measure of dependence on him.
God calls us to live grace-filled lives of joyful generosity toward others. And to follow an example, not just of the Macedonians, but of Jesus himself. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, Paul says, that though he was rich, remember in the glories of paradise at the right hand of his heavenly Father, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, emptying himself of his divine majesty and power, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. For your sakes, he became poor so that you, through his poverty, might be everlasting and rich. Rich in the kingdom of God, not in the ways of the world. Rich in his love and his blessing on you to know that Jesus Christ is truly enough be overwhelmed and overcome with the forgiveness of sins and grace in Jesus. To look at life through mature, faith-filled eyes. To have a mature faith which is demonstrated in joyful generosity with all the gifts of God for the glory of God. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.